Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the show where you get expert advice about heavy-duty parts that keeps trucks and trailers on the road longer while lowering costs per mile. You can have the greatest heavy-duty parts, but without the correct tools, every job repairing heavy-duty commercial equipment gets a lot harder. In this episode, we're going to look at a modern twist on professional tools that puts the right tools in the hands of repair technicians at the right time. My guest today is Lee Locklear, the CEO at Cutting Edge Automotive Solutions. Lee, welcome to the Heavy-Duty Parts Report. So glad to have you here. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. We're glad to, to be part of the podcast. So let's get started and talk about the way that tools have traditionally been sold to heavy-duty mechanics and and diesel technicians. I know when I was a sales account manager, a lot of times I'd come in with my pickup truck, I was selling parts, and there might be a vehicle come right in behind me selling tools. So for those in the audience who maybe aren't aware of how tools have traditionally been sold, maybe give us a, a background on that model. Yeah. So in the U.S. and and Canada and probably most of of North America, a lot of that happens uh, traditionally from uh, the mobile tool trucks. A big part of that is due to serviceability. It's very difficult as a a technician to to remain efficient if you have to stop what you're doing and run down the street to go to the tool store, so to speak, and, and buy the tool that you need to finish your job. It's a lot easier when you have a professional that's servicing you weekly, taking care of your warranties and all of your service items. So traditionally, that's that's been done through the mobile tool business. How long has that endured? Because it seems like that has been in place at, like my entire career, but I, I'm sure it goes way back. Snap-on really set the stage for how business is done on a mobile tool truck today. That business model has been there since the uh, Great Depression. And it was very innovative for its time. The idea was, as a manufacturer, Snap-on needed to keep the factory working, needed to keep the people employed. And at the same time, um, the, the technicians or, or mechanics that, that were in the field needed tools to be able to, to keep their job, to be able to service the vehicles. So the compromise was, uh, we will give you the tools that you need to do your job, You know, keeping in mind that if you did have a job during the Great Depression, you were likely taking a, a major wage cut. Being a manufacturer, you, you need to keep the plant efficient and working. They came up with the idea of, I will give you the tools today and, and you'll pay me you know, weekly over you know, the next few weeks, five, six, seven, ten weeks, whatever the agreed upon payment is. And what that allowed to happen was the technicians get the tools that they need to do their job, the factory to produce the the tools that they need to keep everybody employed. And that business model really hasn't changed since the Great Depression. It's been it's been that way ever since it was when I was a young technician coming up. So I'm curious, this model has lasted a long time. 
What's maybe one mistake you see repair technicians make when they buy tools and how should they avoid that? The relationship with the tool guys almost become a cult type thing. There are technicians that have, you know, the Snap-on logo tattooed on their head. Like literally I've seen it tattooed on, you know, a guy with his head shaved and the and the Snap-on S logo tattooed on his head and and same with the Matco guys and you know, everybody has their their tool brand that um that they're loyal to or or that they like to promote. As a technician, I've done the same. Didn't tattoo my my forehead or anything, but I've had loyalties for certain reasons. And um I think the biggest mistake that and and this is gonna sound horrible as a business owner, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that technicians make is they make loyalties to companies instead of being loyal to themselves. Now, I'm all about brand loyalty, and, and obviously, as a, as a business owner, I want to push brand loyalty. I believe that the company needs to earn that loyalty, and I think that technicians are too willing to give that loyalty without expecting that level of service in return that, that warrants it. That's an interesting perspective, one I hadn't really considered before, but I can see why there is such an emotional attachment to the brand of the tool like the tools that a repair technician uses, because this is how they make their living. Everything in their life kind of stems from using those tools. So I can see how a person would form an attachment very quickly to one brand or the other, especially if they felt that that brand was, you know, helping them make a living. But to your point, it makes sense that they need to ask more from a tool company. What are the things that they should be asking for then? Service you know, is, is a big part of that. If you look at the forums on, on social media, I pick on Snap-on a lot. I feel as though I, I can. I'm a former Snap-on employee and former Snap-on franchisee. So I feel as though I've earned that. They are the the 800-pound gorilla on the block, and, and they have more franchisees throughout the country and in Canada than any other mobile tool company out there. So by default, they they have the tendency to provide better service because they just have more feet on the street. The challenge, though, is in what I saw as as a franchisee and and as a customer was the franchise agreements themselves get in the way. So the companies are loyal to their franchises, as they should be. I'm, I'm not finding fault with that. But when the company is loyal to the franchise, a lot of times that comes at at the cost or is paid for by lack of service to the customer that's actually paying the money. So in, in the Snap-on model as a, as a franchisee, I was Snap-on's customer. So they catered to me as the, as the franchisee, not necessarily to the end user. So if I have a dealer that, that calls on my location and they're a good dealer and they do a good job and they run a good business and all of those if things, I end up with good service. Let's say you have a guy that is great guy, great personality, could be a gal. Uh, great personality, but they don't run a, a very good business. And so what happens is you end up on credit hold or you can't get your stock order and, and things like that. So so the 10 millimeter socket, because everybody breaks 10 millimeter sockets like you know candy, right? They're going out of style. You can't get your 10 millimeter socket replaced or your 10 millimeter wrench or you know whatever it, whatever it happens to be. You can't get the service that you're looking for because the franchisee hasn't, you know, done their part and paid their tool bill. 
all of the franchise companies out there would argue, well, you can always deal with the company. And, and I can assure you that they would make that statement, but they generally don't stand behind that. If there's a franchise in the area, they're going to point you back towards the franchise and not deal with it uh, directly. If you're not happy with a Big Mac, you're not going to call McDonald's corporate and expect them to send you a Big Mac. <laughs> exactly. And and funny enough, I actually went to a McDonald's one time and, and had a horrible experience. And I called McDonald's and all they did was put me back to the franchise because it, was a fran- right. it wasn't a company-owned store. It was a franchise store. And I get the franchise agreements. So when Cutting Edge um, had a chance encounter at um, Auto Mechanica in Germany in, in 2018, I had a chance encounter with the guys at SP Tools. And we became, in 2019, we became the, the importer for North America for SP Tools. That whole thought process was, was fresh in my mind. How do we do this to where we can better serve the company? Because that's really how Cutting Edge went from you know, a small company with, um, you know, inventory on a, on a Rubbermaid shelf in, in my garage to, you know, a multi-million dollar company with service, you know, and, and I'm a big fan of making sure that the, that we earn the customer's business. And so how do you deal with wanting that distribution, i.e. franchise or, or however you're going to set the business up, but at the same time, never allowing the customer to not be taken care of? regardless of the franchise agreement. And and that's really what we're trying to do with SP Tools. That makes a lot of sense. So we've talked about how this model has been in place since the Great Depression. Other than just the limitations or ch- uh, challenges that come up with the franchise model, what else is changing in the industry that dictates that we need to look at how tools are sold and distributed? And, and, and why is that changing right now? What other factors are going on that are really mandating that this changes? Literally, since this business model was put in place, we have put a man on the moon. We've got international space stations. We have mobile phones. You know, the world doesn't even vaguely resemble the world that this business model was created for. We're global economies, all Mobile tool companies are dealing with uh, manufacturing overseas, whether that's Europe or or Southeast Asia. You know, it may have you know somebody's stamp or logo on it, but but there's only a few manufacturing facilities overseas that manufacture for everybody, and everybody has their own intellectual property and and things like that. But but the actual forging of the wrench, so to speak, or whatever the tool happens to be, um, happens a, a lot in different areas. So. The access to professional tools because of the global economy has gone through the roof. You can, you can get professional quality tools just about anywhere today. You can find them online. You know, Amazon is pushing really strong towards professional automotive tools and equipment. They're courting a lot of companies that specialize in automotive tools and equipment because they, they see that as a great growth opportunity. Domestic manufacturers um, have waned a lot. And, and then what they do actually produce in the US, which used to mean a lot, is relegated to very specific products nowadays. So for example, picking on Snap-on again, you know, their, their core product, um, sockets, ratchets, wrenches, things like that are made here. The rest of their stuff is, you know, acquired globally, um, just like everybody else. The difference is, you know, on that same, you know, rethreading kit, uh, professional rethreading kit, you know, you may pay $160 to Snap-on where you may pay $120 to SP Tools. So the access to those tools 
comes down to who's going to service you better or should, in, in my opinion, should come down to who's going to service you better. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't have a heavy-duty part number and need to look up a part? Go to parts.diesellaptops.com or download the app on Apple or Android to create your free account. Looking for high-quality fuel injection for heavy-duty applications? Having one supplier for fuel injection allows you to better serve customers by providing them with a complete line, which increases your sales and profitability. Learn more at ambacinternational.com slash aftermarket. We're back from our break. And before the break, we were talking about the traditional model for distributing tools. It has been around for a very long time, really since the Great Depression, but the world has changed. And there's a lot more at stake, Lee, for repair shops, commercial fleets, the the repair technicians themselves. So when we look at the situation right now, what's at stake if a mechanic or a diesel technician doesn't have access to the right tools at the right time? Like you said in the very beginning, if if you can have the greatest parts in the world, you can have everything else. But if you don't have the technician and the tools to complete the job, the vehicle still doesn't get fixed. It's that simple. So tools for professional technicians are no different than uh, shoulder pads and, and cleats for professional quarterback. It's the same thing. You know, you might be able to walk out on the field barefoot and no shoulder pads, and you're going to last about one snap. And then something's going to snap. <laughs> yeah, and then something's going to snap for sure. Well, those big linemen's going to get you, and you're, you're not going to feel very well. I mean, you're not going to be efficient at, at what you're trying to do. So it, it's literally that, that analogy is the same for professional technicians. They have to have good quality tools that are reliable, that will allow them to, to do their job. They have to be able to get the warranties taken care of and the service items the you know it's the little spring that makes the difference in that air impact that springs worth a quarter so most most guys you know it's not important enough for them to spend an hour running down that little spring that the that the customer needs but for the professional technician it's you know it's life and death it's you know the ability to do their job or or not have the tools that they need to do their job and people on the automotive side they need their vehicles i'm not trying to minimize that but it is a whole other game with work trucks because those trucks are revenue generating parts of a fleet's business. And, and a downtime is just such a killer. The parts, the cost of the parts, even the labor can be almost nothing when you consider how much it might cost to have a unit down for a few extra days because it can't be fixed. So the stakes are pretty high for everyone involved, regardless of whether it's the repair shop owner, the technician that works at the repair shop, or the customer that's bringing their commercial vehicles to these repair shops. How are you changing the way tools are sold to repair technicians? I'm interested in learning more about the evolution of your model and how you've addressed some of these issues that you saw with the traditional way that tools have been distributed and sold. That's a great question. So one of the things that we wanted to do was merge, you know, being on the outside looking in, I noticed some trends in the tool and equipment industry that led me to believe that, you know, we could blend this into the hand tool side of the business as well. And what I mean by that is, is the parts industry has taken a big chunk of equipment sales, uh, whether that's lifts or diagnostics, whatever the case may be. And no offense to the parts guys, they're just not tool guys and, and they're not diagnostics guys. And, you know, the tools and equipment today are, are pretty complex. 
So the challenge that you run into is you have somebody that that provides excellent service because you see the outside sales guys. You were an account manager yourself. So you see that that outside sales guy all the time, right? How many how many times a day does a Napa delivery driver show up at the shop dropping off parts or, you know, whatever the case may be? So when you look at the business, the parts guys outservice the mobile guy, the mobile tool guys 10 to 1 all day long, twice on Sunday. But they don't have the experience and the knowledge that the mobile tool guys do to properly service the customer's tool and equipment needs. A lot of times the customer ends up with the wrong tool for the wrong job, especially when you get into the complex stuff like diagnostics and things like that. So my thought process was to find a way to provide that level of service that the parts guys deliver to the shops on the parts side combined with the industry knowledge and experience from tools and equipment and and a big focus in diagnostics on the other side. And the ways that we're going about that is is to merge those two businesses. Um, You still have to have that relationship guy because that relationship with the tool truck driver is really what makes that that whole relationship work. That's why the mobile guys are still around. It's that one-on-one personal relationship. So you still have to have that element but there's a lot of other things that you can do. For example, you can have a lower cost labor, which would be like a delivery driver that can also handle warranties, that can handle you know payment collections if you miss each other. Um, a lot of the service side of the business so that your relationship guy or your sales guy, as it were, can focus on uh, making sure that, that the customer's getting the tools and equipment that they need. You know, Your delivery drivers can take care of a lot of the, the service um, issues that the customer has. And then it's also branching out and utilizing modern technology. So we developed an app um, that can be found on the Apple Store or the um, Play Store. We designed the app to mimic the relationship that you have on the tool truck. So in the app, you can take care, you can request warranties, you can, you know, look at your purchase histories, you can, you know, build wish lists. You know, pretty much anything that you would normally do on a tool truck, you could do directly through the app. And and again, with the with the delivery drivers and everything else, we can see that customer touch that customer more often than a mobile tool guy that generally is going to see them once a week, sometimes once every other week. So when that ten millimeter socket does break, we can get you one today, tomorrow, uh, versus you know next Tuesday or next Wednesday when the guy shows up. Backing that up is a brick and mortar location. Traditionally, like I said earlier on, we don't want the technicians coming in, uh, stopping what they're doing, having to come to the store. But what the store does provide is the ability for us to carry a larger inventory locally than what a mobile tool dealer generally can have. So we can have more of the specialty tools. We can have more of the things that when the customer has to have it, they've got to have it now without having to pay overnight freight and everything else because we can carry a larger inventory. So it sounds to me like this is the real merger between the traditional distribution model and setting up a digital sales channel and leveraging digital tools. I love it. I think that that is the way that parts companies, tool companies need to go. It Like to your point, the world has changed. And a lot of people in our industry, they're just kind of catching up with what is being called like Web 2.0. Meanwhile, we're in the process of actually going into what they're now going to call Web 3.0, which is going to include augmented reality and virtual reality. So it's really important for companies that serve the automotive and heavy-duty industries to get caught up and to move into the 21st century because 
the changes are going to come fast and furious as we move forward. I'm curious though, you've had some time now with this model. Uh, you've, you've seen the impact it's had. You've tried to address some of the problems and provide a better solution. What has been the economic impact on your customers? We can say we can service them better and also save them money. And, you know, sometimes you have the greatest ideas in the world and something carry, continues on forever and ever and ever like the, the mobile tool bottle. And then all of a sudden that changes. And, and I think the world changed in, in 2020 with COVID. But the reality is that there are shop owners out there that are concerned about how many people are coming into their shop and how often. Our business model had an unintended consequence, which is the app allows us to still continue to do business in the way that the technicians are doing business. But at the same time, we can keep our employees from having to to be in, you know, we can put a lockbox outside the shop, for example and place the tools or, or warranties and things like that inside the box and never have to go into the shop. It's not necessarily the relationship that the techs are, are looking for, but in a world of uncertainty and the concerns, you know, especially in Canada, I have a lot of friends in Canada, you know, you guys seem to be on pretty strong restriction. You know, I have a, uh, some friends that are Mac dealers up in, in Canada, and they've expressed to me a lot of shop owners just don't want them in the shop. They just don't want them there. That makes it very difficult for them to do business. And so one of the unintended consequences that we've had that I think helps is being able to get customers tools and equipment without having to have a presence inside the shop. The financial impact to the shop is efficiency goes up because if you do have a good relationship with the tool guy, you're likely going to be on the tool truck for a little while. You got five or 10 you know, technicians, how much productivity time do you lose when the tool guy's there? Multiply that times four trucks. And so you're losing five, 10, 15, 20 hours of production time. If, if your techs are, you know, 100% efficient, it's 20 billable hours. If they're 150%, you know, it's, it's 30 billable hours at $150 an hour. You know, that's a huge impact, I think, financially. So as things have become more complex, uh, we think of diagnostic tools. If you'd like to leave our audience with with maybe just one thing that they need to know about about how you are helping your customers with those more complex tools, what's that one thing? Training, education, and transparency. And and I think the three go together. There's a lot of companies that sell what they want to sell or they sell what they have. We run with the philosophy that our job is to educate the customer. And if we educate the customer, then we've done our job and hopefully we've earned their business. We don't always have the right tool and we don't always have the right solution. And if we don't offer it, we will point them in the direction where they can find it. And we feel as though that, that hopefully in the long run, uh, the customers will appreciate that. And when we do have the right tool that fits the need that, that they'll patronize our business. You've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Lee Locklear, the CEO at Cutting Edge Automotive Solutions. To learn more about Cutting Edge, visit CEASUSA.com. Links will be in the show notes. And this is the company where training, education, and transparency is what you're going to find. So go over there and check them out. I think you're going to really enjoy the experience. Lee, thank you for being on the Heavy Duty Parts Report. So glad to have you here. 
Thank you, Jamie. Really appreciate your time, and uh, it was a pleasure. HCA Truck Pride is the heart of the Independent Parts and Service Channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash Pride and let the heart of the Independent Service Channel take care of your commercial equipment.